Lord, we know that today is a day that you have made. So we are here to rejoice and be glad in it and to just thank you, Jesus, that you are the cornerstone. Lord, we know it, it is a title for you that comes right out of the Psalms. And, and so I would just ask, by your spirit, would you help us as we read it today to understand what it meant for you, what it means for us that you are the cornerstone. And we will thank you for that in your name. Amen. We are coming to the back half of Psalm 118 today. We started it last week. We're finishing it today. And by doing that, we're actually going to finish the Hallel. This collection of songs that God's people would sing on their way to the Passover celebration. The celebration of God's miraculous deliverance from death through the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. And it lines up perfectly because as they would sing this for Passover, if you look at your calendar this weekend, it says that Sunday is the beginning of Passover. The time when they would be singing these words, but that's not all it says. It also says that it is Palm Sunday. See, what we know as Palm Sunday is the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem, just days before his death and resurrection, because he was there at the Passover celebration to be the Passover lamb. And so it describes how whole multitudes of people were coming in. It makes sense now. They're there for the Passover. And as Jesus rode in, they recognized him as a king, as the Messiah, as the Savior, as the Christ. They laid out their coats and palm branches before him. And as Matthew says in chapter 21, then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Words that are right out of the Hillel in Psalm 118. They're not random. They were singing this as they stepped through the gates into the city. And when they saw Jesus, it felt like it all made sense. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? In fact, all four of the gospels, all four biographies of Jesus talk about this moment. It was that important for them to understand who Jesus was and that he not only sings the promises of God, he fulfills them. And yet within just a few days of this moment, that king, that Christ would be crucified with many of the same voices potentially that were here shouting out for his death. You see, what they didn't understand was that Christ is the cornerstone who had to be rejected. You see, they wanted a conquering king. They wanted somebody to deal with the Romans and they couldn't imagine that his death could actually be part of the plan. And yet, if we understand that this is true, if rejection was actually part of who the Savior, who the Messiah is, then there are things in Psalm 118 that start to fall into place. Things that don't make sense until you and I meet Jesus and learn to trust him for our every day. So let's dig into Psalm 118 together. And if you remember, we said that if you're trying to understand Jesus' Passover week, you know, his Passion Week, if you're trying to understand the Psalms, it actually can help to go back and read Exodus 1 through 15. Those 15 chapters unpack a lot of what they're singing about here. Perfect example, check out Exodus 15 too. 
It says, the Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. Now, if that sounds familiar, it's because that's exactly where we left off last week in Psalm 118, 14. The Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. It'll say that again in verse 21 and then in verse 28 picks up the rest of Exodus 15 too. But notice how it's personalized. You are my God and I will praise you. Not you are Moses God, not you are the disciples God, that for centuries people could personalize this to sing, you are my God. You know, that's one of the things that when we sing together here, we're really intentional about finding the songs that, that don't just let us sing about God, but let us personalize it and sing to God. You are my God and I will praise you. You see, when we begin to sing that, it starts to make sense of how he has become my salvation. In fact, the next few verses of the psalm explain that. It says that the voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. You notice it says the right hand of the Lord three times. Again, you go back to Exodus 15. Exodus 15 is actually called the Song of Moses. And although they're not all back to back, if you read through his song, he sings about the right hand of the Lord three times. You see, what we're looking at here is scripture, singing scripture back to God. And we love to do that together. Because the right hand of the Lord becomes a picture of his power, a picture of his strength, a picture of the fact that God can actually keep his promise to deliver his people. That when it says that I shall not die but live, that's a promise that has been woven all through the Hillel. That Jesus, even as Matthew says, they sang a hymn and then went out to Gethsemane where he was arrested falsely tried and crucified right after singing the promise that I shall not die but live. That eternal life is the picture of what God is promising by his right hand. So how do we respond to that? Rejoicing and declare. That's for us. That we rejoice and declare that he has become your salvation. Maybe you rephrase that. If he has become your salvation, if you have seen how mighty the right hand of God is to rescue you from sin, from death, from bad habits, because of his love, our natural response is to rejoice and declare that. Now, I don't know about you, but it seems sometimes like the rejoicing is easier, right? Like that it's, it's easier for me to come together with like-minded people, sing these songs and say, yes, God, thank you. That is what you've done for me. And that is good. That is very, very good. When we do that in our quiet time with God, that is good. But don't forget, Psalm 117 last week also said, rejoice all you nations, laud him all you peoples, that there's an invitation 
to those around us who may not know the history, who may not know the Lord. That the Hallel is being sung as they come into a city that, yes, has a lot of God's people there, but also a lot of Romans, a lot of other travelers, a lot of people doing business who would hear these songs being sung and hear the story of the right hand of a powerful God who can save even from death. And sometimes that's the part I think that is harder for us, harder for me. You know, that when I think about declaring his works, okay, declaring his works to the the people around me, I'm either picturing like memorize my evangelism script, but I'm afraid to go into this thing because what if they think I'm weird or what if they ask hard questions or what if they, or or I flip to the other end and think, well, I won't say anything about it. I'll, I'll just try to be a good person and hopefully they eventually ask me. But I think there's something in between. There's something like, I think we saw a little bit of last week that If I live the way Jesus lives and give him credit for it, that invites other people to see who God is. I had a moment a couple weeks ago that actually in some strange ways, I think it helped me make sense out of this kind of thing. My in-laws were visiting. And so my wife and her mom and my daughter, they went out to have some fun, all the girls together, which meant it was just the boys. My kids, you know, my three sons, me and grandpa. So we get to do whatever we want. It's guy time, right? And my boys got so excited that this was their chance to show grandpa Mario Kart. (laughs) And I told him, it's like, guys, you know, grandpa's not really into video games. He probably doesn't want to do this kind of thing. He probably won't have any fun. I mean, I was totally a wet blanket, right? But they couldn't help but rejoice and declare how awesome Mario Kart is. And they had this really cool idea that even though they've moved on to Mario Kart 8, they would go back to Mario Kart Double Dash because the difference in Mario Kart Double Dash is that you can put two drivers on the same car, which went one of the boys could steer and grandpa only had to push one button just to throw items. Kind of just let him get his feet wet for a little bit. See if he enjoys it, see how it works, see how it goes. And of course, especially because he's with people he loves. He had fun, and before you know it, he's got his own controller, and he's driving his own cart, and he's winning races. Now, I I tell you that story because I realized Grandpa would have missed out on something he really enjoyed because I I was just afraid he wouldn't like it. And I think talking to the Spirit this week, it, it hit me. Sometimes that's how I'm treating my friends, my neighbors, people who I know don't know God the way I do. That I will artificially hold myself back because I'm afraid maybe they won't like it. But you know, that is exactly why we do things here at Horizon like authentic manhood. We've got a six-week study coming up starting the week after Easter. We're bringing out Ken Kington like we have before, just a funny guy, a great guy, a guy who has lived this stuff. And this time, the topic is all about fatherhood. Whether you're building relationships with grown children, you've got kids in the house right now, or you might have kids someday. And you would benefit from it, you would. I'm going to, (laughs) but if you think of yourself as a Christ follower, I would encourage you that this might be the Mario Kart. What I mean is, this is the kind of space that we create to be a comfortable environment for your friends to connect to God with you, with people they love. And in one sense, they only have to push one button, right? It's a little bit of an easier in than say, verse by verse through Leviticus. 
to be able to invite them to something that has a great felt need, a parenting thing that can help them out, while also starting to get a feel for some of the blessings that God provides. And so I know I've got some names on my heart, some friends that I'll be inviting. Just, hey, come and, come and check this out with me. Because it may be that if you think about a friend, maybe a neighbor down the street, you know, that this can be just that little bit of an invitation where we can rejoice in how God helps us and declare that to others. Give them one button to push for now, not, not as an insult, but as an invitation to something that might grow, that they might find that God works in their life too. So I'd encourage you, check out the details, you know, sign up for that. It's Sunday night, Monday morning, and every week is standalone if you don't think that you can make all of them. But it's the kind of opportunity that we create to help our friends, to help our neighbors get to know this God, this personal God, the way that we know him. You see, because when we start to take hold of those kinds of promises, that I shall not die but live, as strange as that can sound before getting into all of this, that's what allows us to read other things in Psalm 118 that, that otherwise wouldn't make sense. In fact, if you check out verse 18, this, psalm, this song goes on to say that the Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Now, honestly, who wants to sing about that? And yet we experience it, don't we? That there are times in our life where we feel chastened because he's trying to redirect us from a negative attitude or a negative behavior. Or there are times where it's not connected to anything negative, but we just feel the pain and the struggle of the world we live in that he's using to develop our perseverance and our righteousness. You know, and the reality that even in the midst of that, he doesn't give us over to death. That even in the midst of physical death, he doesn't give us over to spiritual death. You know, we could probably spend the whole day just on that piece. So, so I'll encourage you with just the reality that we are talking about that more in the Pathway Guide this week. So if you haven't heard yet about the Pathway, we're, we're putting this out every week with the equipping service. And it's just a handful of questions that you can go through with a group study, you know, with your spouse after you watch the message to help you just internalize a little bit more of what God is saying here. And with that, you can find on the website, on the app, like a two to four minute video. I think the longest one we've done so far was still under four minutes that you can watch midweek to really help you take hold of the truth, to remember what we saw in God's word and apply it to your own life. So there will be more in the pathway guide this week about that. But for now, let it suffice to say that even Jesus could sing this truth, that even Jesus was made perfect through suffering but not abandoned to death. And if that's true, then we can go on to say, open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. Okay, so what are the gates of righteousness? Well, in one sense, there's a meaningful symbol here because notice it says, open to me the gates of righteousness. Not I open them. The gates belong to the Lord. It is the Lord alone who can open the gates to righteousness. It is Jesus who opens those gates by taking the punishment that I deserved and calling me righteous. Not because I've earned it, not because I've been perfect, but because he applies his righteousness to me that I can walk through those gates. 
But you know, if you think about them singing this as they walk into the city, they would be coming around the Mount of Olives. They would be walking down Palm Sunday Road, of course, which is what it's now called. Taking that road into the city, approaching from the east side, where just as you come around the hill, revealed on the east side of the wall, there are gates. The eastern gate of Jerusalem. Now, of course, the gate that Jesus would have actually walked through was destroyed in 70 AD along with the rest of the city. And so it is a pile of rocks somewhere underground. But you can almost get the picture in your head that as they would sing how I will walk through the gates of righteousness, when you step through the eastern side, the eastern gates of the city wall, you come face to face with the Temple Mount. The place that God had built to remind them of his presence and that they could dwell in his presence because of the sacrifices that were being made. All of the sacrifices that pointed toward one sacrifice, Jesus Christ, who brings us into his presence. This is probably the direction that Jesus came on Palm Sunday. Now, what you notice in this picture of the gates is that the gates have actually been sealed. So these were rebuilt in about 600 AD because Christ followers reading the book of Ezekiel kept seeing stuff that that seems to imply that the Messiah will come through the eastern gate. So did that apply to his first coming? Does that apply to his second coming? Is it both of them? There's some debate there. But it's natural to think if, if he comes back the way he came the first time that he would come through these gates again. And so in 1500, Uh, When we were visiting Israel last year, our guide told us this, that one of the Muslim rulers in the 1500s sealed the gate so that Christians would know they were hopeless because their Messiah wouldn't be able to get into the city. (laughs) Which is like, if Jesus really is Lord of all creation, I don't think a few feet of cement is going to stop him. And yet the reality is you and I can't walk through that gate today. But we can still sing this psalm. Because Jesus has opened the gates of righteousness for us. That those are gates through which we can walk and rejoice and declare, not because we've earned it, but because of his free gift. That's why we can sing things like verse 21. I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. Now, as we keep reading, the next part we come to is probably the strongest part that doesn't make sense without Jesus. It says in verse 22, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Hey, I think I recognize that verse. (laughs) And what's crazy about this is that going all the way back to Genesis 49, God has been identified as the stone of Israel. And so it becomes a term that represents God and God's Messiah. Why on earth would the stone be rejected? All right, but let's keep reading. The next verse, this was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Okay, now I'm really getting confused. If the stone represents God, the Messiah, the Christ, Israel's help, if that's the chief cornerstone, the most important one, and it's rejected, I'm sorry, you're saying that was God's plan? That that was the Lord's doing and and we think it's great? No, I would never say that. I would would never say it's great to reject the Messiah. Okay, but let's keep going. 
This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Hey, I think I know that one too. (laughs) I used to sing a song as a little kid. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. Maybe you sing that one too. I never knew it was from Psalm 118. I never would have guessed that the day they're rejoicing in is the day the stone was rejected? How do you make sense of that? Well, there's really only one way. You see, when you look at these verses all together, it says that the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. See, I think this is one of the most powerful moments in the entire Hillel. To close your eyes and imagine Jesus at the Last Supper with his closest friends, knowing that he goes out to his arrest, that he goes out to the crucifixion that multiple times he has told them was coming and they didn't understand, but he did. That he's going to pray in the garden, Lord, if there's any other way, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. That he's going to pray for his disciples and for everybody who would come in the future that would believe in him and go out to his death singing, this is the day the Lord has made. Yes, even this day. Yes, the day he rode in on Palm Sunday and everyone cheered, that was the day the Lord has made prophesied since the book of Daniel. The day that he would rise again from the dead to conquer sin, to conquer death, that's the day the Lord has made. And the day that he died prophesied in Psalm 118, 22. This too is the day the Lord has made. And we understand now that it was part of God's plan all along. It is not a moment of defeat. It is a moment of victory. Because without his sacrifice, you and I are hopeless. Without his resurrection, you and I are hopeless. If he wasn't, the stone that was rejected, then he couldn't become my salvation. When you put it that way, as painful as it is to think that everything that I've ever done wrong, every stray thought, every unkind word, every temptation I've given into, you name it, you can think of it, you hope you forget it, all of those things and the ones I don't even realize, wrapped together and sent Christ to the cross. As sorrowful as it is, yet there is joy because we know the story that this was God's plan. It is marvelous in our eyes. It is why we sing Christ alone cornerstone. Not Christ and good works. Not Christ and try to prove myself to God. Not Christ and got to make it up to him. Christ alone is the cornerstone on which we build our lives. In fact, that's what I would encourage you. Build your days on Christ as cornerstone. If he could sing, this is the day, any one of those days, then we can too. Whatever day you're watching this, this is the day the Lord has made. This day wouldn't exist if he didn't give it to you. You wouldn't be here if he didn't put breath in your lungs. Will you build that day on the cornerstone? See, because the picture of the chief cornerstone, they didn't have laser levels and things like that when they were building. So they would have a cornerstone perfectly cut, 
perfectly shaped and everything else is built on that and measured off of that to make sure it's straight in every direction. And in that way, Christ becomes the foundation. He is the rock, he is the stone that our lives are built on. In fact, our kids just talked about this in the East Station a couple of weeks ago. So, so ask them if they remember, who is our life built on? Because everything is foundationally built on him and measured off of him so that every day we can say, my life is built on Christ alone. That he is the only way. And you know, this is, this is a great place to use one of my favorite Bible study tools. Because I know sometimes when you're going through the Old Testament, you know, these things can be confusing. Sometimes as you're working through the prophets or the Psalms and there's all this metaphor and all these other things going on, one of the things that can be really helpful is to check out the cross-references. So if you've got a study Bible or, or you've got a Bible with cross-references, that's often right down this middle column. There'll be little notes that hint over to that column to say, here are other places in the Bible that talk about this same topic. So a lot of times in the Old Testament, they're gonna to point to something in the New Testament where Jesus fulfills this or one of the letters explains this. And so that's one of the things I love about a paper Bible is it's, it's just really easy to flip back and forth between those. But another tool that I wanted to show you today, because it, honestly, it's just one of the coolest things that we have the privilege to use this day and age, is something called Blue Letter Bible. Now there is a website, but there's also an app and the app is fantastic. I mean, I, I kid you not, it is probably the most used Bible tool in my arsenal when I'm studying and when I'm trying to understand. So like, you know, all this stuff that, that we get to share together on the weekend, I, I can't tell you how much of that has actually come out of my uh, group conversations. You know, other guys who are digging into the word and show me something that I hadn't seen before. How much is coming from questions from some of you that, that email, call, or stop us in the hallway? And what a great tool Blue Letter Bible is to help us dig into that. So I just want to show you this real quick. So I've got Psalm 118 pulled up here. And if I scroll down, let's take verse 22. Let's take the one we were just looking at about the stone that was rejected. All I have to do is tap verse 22. And it comes up with this whole list of tools. You've got text commentaries where you can read through some notes to help you understand, audio commentaries. Now, this is actually the source I go to if you click interlinear to see the Hebrew or the Greek and what that means. But if you tap cross references, it shows you what in this verse and where it shows up in other places in the Bible. So check out how it talks about the stone. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all mention another moment where Jesus himself uses this verse about the stone to say, didn't you understand that I had to be rejected? Didn't you read that verse? The stone the builders rejected is the cornerstone. But let's go a little further because one of the guys who would have heard them say that is Peter. And for Peter, this becomes like the foundation of his understanding of the gospel. So if I tap Acts 4 and we'll just go quick view, it pulls it up right there. Listen to what Peter says when he's explaining who Jesus is. He says, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
You see, Peter had it explained to him by Jesus himself. And now Peter uses that to explain it to his friends. Yeah, rejection was part of the plan. And that's why there's no one else besides Jesus who saves us. In fact, if we just stick with Peter, he brings it up again in one of his letters. First Peter 2, tap that quick view. Check out what he says. In verse 4, that we come to him. We come to Jesus as to a living stone. Rejected indeed by men but chosen by God and precious. Now you also, okay, so this is us, as living stones are being built up, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And when you drop down to verse seven, he says, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief corner stone. You see, Peter realizes it's not just that Christ is the foundation It's that everything about our salvation and our lives is built on him. Because he is a living stone. He is risen from the dead and he gives us new life that we together, we are now living stones together right here at Horizon Community Church being built up into God's spiritual house. That's why we want to build every day on that stone. You know, that's sometimes... Maybe that's most of the times easier said than done. And a couple of years ago, I was talking to a friend of mine named Carter. Now Carter, for most of his life, was not a follower of Christ. In fact, he'd been through some really painful experiences in his life that made him wonder if God is good after all. Like if if he could even really be who he says he is if I've been through these things. But by the time that I met Carter, he was absolutely convinced that Jesus is who he says he is, did what he says he did, and had saved Carter's life and his eternal life and he just had such a vibrant prayer life it seemed like he was always thinking in terms of who God is and what he wants to do next and so I just asked him I said you know I I struggle with that sometimes you know I just get in ruts from the day to day how do you pray what is it that that is so vibrant for you and you know what he told me he said there, there, there are two simple things he likes to pray that helps him with this one of them is to just say God what do you think about the last 24 hours? <laughs> that's a good question. If that's a day the Lord has made, what do you think about the last 24 hours? He said sometimes it leads him to confession, things he shouldn't have done or things he wished had gone differently to, to make a plan going ahead. Sometimes it leads him to thanksgiving, you know, things he may have just skated right past that are actually such a blessing from God. But he said the other thing he likes to pray is, God, what do you think about the next 24 hours? And I love that too. Because God wants relationship with us. That it's not just, yeah, I believed that thing when I was five, so I think I'm good to go and I'll just chill till he gets back. No, but, but, but like Ephesians says that we saw on the pathway guide last week, he has prepared good works for us. Through his mercy and kindness, he's brought us to Christ and then he's got exciting things planned for us to do. And it may be challenging, but it will be good. And so I've been learning to pray that way. I I know I've shared that with some of you too, to just ask God, all right, then what do you want to do today? If this is a day that is built on Jesus Christ. Because when we learn to trust him for our eternal life, but also for our daily life, that's when we start to sing things like verse 25. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Sounds familiar, doesn't it? They were singing it on Palm Sunday. In fact, that phrase, save now, that is the Hebrew word right here in Psalm 118, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Even here, again, a reminder of the sacrifice that was made for God to deliver his people from sin, from death into eternal life. That Jesus fulfills, which is why we can sing to him, save now, I pray, O Lord. In fact, if you check out your cross references, we don't have time now, you'll have to do this yourself. There's a couple days later, there are kids singing this to Jesus. Singing, save now, I pray, O Lord. They're calling, they're, they're singing a song that is only sung to the Lord. He's the only one who can save. These kids are singing it to Jesus. And so the Pharisees say, Jesus, aren't you gonna stop them? Have you ever wondered if Jesus claims to be God? His answer to the Pharisees is, well, haven't you read the other verse that says, uh, from the mouths of children and infants, the Lord ordains praise? So why would you, why would you be surprised if kids are praising the Lord? <laughs> he literally claims to be the Lord himself. I, I love it. It's one of the coolest moments. I'll, I'll, I'll let you dig into that on your own time, but it's what allows us to sing this way to God. It's what allows us to sing these words to Jesus because of everything that he has done for us. You know, if I'm honest with myself, I, I love that truth. It's so exciting. And, and right now, as I'm sharing it with you, I, I think, like, is there anything better or more true or more real in the world? But there are also definitely times that I struggle with that. You know, there are times where I'm not, I'm not feeling it as much as I am sitting in this chair talking to you right now. But I remembered a moment when I was in Israel and I was feeling that. Like, I know we've seen all this prophecy and we've seen Jesus fulfill it, but, but does he really love me? Does he really forgive me? Does he really keep his promises to me? I mean, I know I shouldn't ask those questions. I wouldn't call them doubts as much as I would just say, I wonder sometimes, you know? But the day I was feeling that, we were actually standing on the Mount of Olives. And as we stood there, you can see the Eastern Gate. You can see the Temple Mount. You can see Jerusalem. You're standing in the place that Jesus stood and in fact, there's a verse in Zechariah 14 that says that when he returns, in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. You know, in some ways, it's such a simple verse, but it also reminded me that he is still keeping promises, that we face challenges in our life, but we also face joy that we face death, but he has also promised life. And that for all the things that we see in the Old Testament and wonder why wouldn't people just believe him when they see him fulfilling this stuff, I have a chance today, you have a chance today to believe that his promises are still true for you. That there is prophecy that will still be fulfilled and that Jesus himself, guys, he's coming back. And when he does, he will make all things new. In fact, there's a verse on the last page of this book at the end of Revelation in chapter 21. 
I guess I was just thinking about those gates again because he describes a city where there is no temple because the Lord God Almighty and the lamb, the Passover lamb are its temple. They are our forgiveness and they are the presence of God that he is there with us. And get this, I love this. It says, its gates shall not be shut at all by day. Oh, and by the way, there shall be no night there. That the day is coming when the gates of his glory and his presence and his righteousness will never be shut. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. I think what I would leave you with today, I want this for you and I want this for me to give thanks to the Lord today and forever. We have a couple more chances to do that together just this week. On Friday, we're actually uploading an online only Good Friday service, a time of music and reflection, how the sacrifice he made for us secures those promises. And of course, we'll be back live in the building and live online for Easter Sunday to celebrate his resurrection. Because we can thank him today and every day. So let's let the last two verses of Psalm 118 be our closing prayer. God, we want to say these words to you. You are our God and we will praise you. You are our God. We will exalt you. We give thanks to you, O Lord, for you are good and your mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. Amen.